So one of the aspects of this morning is we're going to be focusing on belonging, what it means to belong to Christ Church, and we're going to be celebrating what God has been doing through Alpha and through Rooted this past semester. This evening, in the Fellowship Hall as well as the barn, there's going to be all the Alpha folks in the Fellowship Hall, all the Rooted folks in the barn, they're going to be packed in there celebrating what God has been doing, sharing a meal together and sharing stories of what God's been doing. And I think this... uh, is a stark contrast to what we see outside of the walls of the church, outside of the the cultural trends that we see in the world at large. And there was a statistic that I heard last weekend that the bishop shared at Synod that particularly struck me. There's a study that's been going on for a number of decades, and they've uh, surveyed thousands and thousands and thousands of people and asked them one simple question. How many close friends do you have? Confidants, people that you can talk to about your struggles, that you can share important matters with. How many close friends do you have? And in 1985, this is what they found. That on average, if you averaged all the people, people said they had three close friends that they could really share the deeper things of life with. And then less than 20 years later, in 2004, that number had dropped down to two close friends that they could really share deep things with. And then the bishop, he shared this number, which was startling. It's almost hard to believe. That when they just most recently did the poll in 2017, the number had dropped down to 0.7 people. That means that a large amount of people cannot point to one person in their life that they can be real with and open up about their struggles. And that most people don't have more than maybe two or three tops. And men, especially, we scored lowest in this category. Um, And I think what that shows us is is that in America, there's a growing social isolation. That we are an isolated people. That we are a lonely culture. And one of the reasons that the, the pundits point to for why we're growing and more isolated is one of the things that would seem strange is we have social media, which you have hundreds of friends on social media and followers on Twitter. But interestingly, these, uh, all the, the studies show this, that the more that you're on social media, actually the lonelier you feel. And so we are moving in a direction where people are feeling more and more isolated. And when I think about how many people I have, I think, oh, i got lots of people that I can share. But then when I really am honest with myself, a lot of those people are maybe friends from my childhood or friends from college that I probably could share something with, but because they live far away, I don't really share those things with them. And so how many people do you have? Because the reality is that most of us, at times in our life, there's seasons in our life where we do struggle with loneliness. The novelist Thomas Wolfe said, Loneliness is and always has been the central and inevitable experience of every man. And the reality is, even church at times can feel lonely. When you walk through these doors and everybody's smiling and it seems like everybody has it all together, even in a crowded room, you can feel lonely. Even amongst God's people, you can feel lonely. And so today, what I want to look at is Jesus' encounter with a demographic in the first century that was probably the most isolated demographic that there was at that time, a leper. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke 17. This is 
Luke 17, and we're going to start in verse 12. It's page 876 in your pew Bibles. Now as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a context of what the life of a leper was like in the first century. So because of their leprosy, they were considered unclean. And this wasn't just like the, the leprosy we would think of with limbs falling off. This is any sort of rash that you would have in your body. You would be considered unclean. And if anyone touched you, then they would become ceremonially unclean as well. And what it meant to be unclean was that you couldn't go into God's house to worship. You couldn't go to the temple to bring forth your offerings to God for the sacrifices or thanksgivings that you would have. So there was a, isolate, a spiritual isolation that happened if you were a leper. But also there was a social isolation that happened because you actually had to live outside of town. And I want to read this to you from Leviticus. This is a little bit of Levitical law, and I know all of you are very familiar with the Levitical law, so you probably don't even need me to read this. But in case, in case uh, you don't, haven't heard this passage, um, in verse 45 of chapter 13, it says, The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of their head hang loose. And so they had to tear their clothes, their hair had to be loose, so that they would be recognizable as somebody with leprosy. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so you can imagine the isolation that a leper would feel in this culture. And although it's different than maybe the isolation we feel, oftentimes we can experience that type of loneliness where we feel separated on the outside looking in. And so let's look at Jesus' heart in this passage for the lonely. So in verse 12, it says that not only was there one leper, but as he entered a village, this is back to Luke, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. So he was, Jesus was on the outside walking in, so they were on the outside of the village. And they stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they call out to Jesus. Now, throughout the scriptures, people ask all sorts of things of Jesus. They ask him for healing. They ask him for signs. They ask him questions to try to trip him up. But these lepers ask for one thing. They ask for mercy. They say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And that reveals the heart of the lepers, that they know they're unclean. They know they're undeserved. They know they come to Jesus empty-handed, and so they're just asking for mercy. So they call to Jesus, and what happens next? And as they went, nope, excuse me, back it up, verse 14. And when Jesus saw them, which that's kind of a throwaway line. Jesus saw them. But I think it's important to realize that Jesus does see them. And he doesn't just see their exterior. He sees their hearts and he sees our hearts. He sees what we're going through right now. It says, as Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, in many stories in the gospel, uh, when somebody comes and asks Jesus for something, for healing, for help, for mercy, he gives them immediate relief. He heals them. But that's not what happens in this passage. Interestingly, they come, ask for mercy, and Jesus gives them instruction. He gives them a direction. He gives them something that they are to do. 
And oftentimes in our life, when we come to Jesus for help, we do get immediate relief. But other times in our life, Jesus gives us a direction. He calls us to do something. And so I think this passage calls out to us, is there anything that Jesus has been encouraging you to do? You feel like you've been asking for help with something and he wants you to step out and do something. Maybe you've been a little too busy or a little too distracted or a little too afraid to step out. Well, this week I want to encourage you to step out, see what happens. Step out in faith if Jesus has been calling on you. And so Jesus gives them this instruction, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So in their obedience, they respond to Jesus and on their way, they're cleansed. And so they call to Jesus and then they respond to Jesus' word. That's what the 10 lepers do. But then the story continues. So then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So ten were healed, but only one returned. And it says that he called out in a loud voice. Do you see that progression? He had been calling, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And then he called, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And then when he's healed, he, he cries, thanks be to God, praise be to God. That cry for mercy turns into a cry of gratitude and thanks. And then we see this interesting wording that it says. It says that he's turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. So he falls prostrate before Jesus. And it says he giving him thanks as he did that. And that word giving him thanks is the word eucharisteo, which is the word that we get when we talk about Eucharist. That's the, when we talk about the Eucharist, that idea of thanksgiving. And that word is used 37 times in the scripture. And every other time other than this time, it, it's meant to give thanks to God directly. But this man falls down at Jesus' feet in worship of Jesus saying, God, God, you've used this man. Maybe God, this is you. God, thank you. So he cries out and thanks. He returns to Jesus to thank him. But I know for me, oftentimes I fall into the category of the nine, right? That if there's something I'm struggling with, Lord, have mercy, I need help. And then maybe he gives me something to do and I'll do it, whatever I have to do to get help. And then as soon as I get help, as soon as that thing goes away, I just start focusing and fixating on the next need that I have. Am I right? Are you guys like that ever? I know that I am. And what this passage is drawing out for us is that Jesus does want to be our friend in hard times, but he also wants to be our friend at all times. He wants for us to live a life of thanksgiving, that we're constantly turning to him for help, hearing his voice, but then when we receive that help, giving thanks. Now, you guys know where this is going, right, I would imagine. What week is coming up? Thanksgiving, all right? So this is a great opportunity for you to focus on giving thanks. It's a great opportunity for you to stop and say, God, thank you for all the things that you've done in my life in the past. Or thank you for all the gifts that you've given to me. And so what I want to encourage you to do communally with whoever you have Thanksgiving meal with, or even if you're eating the meal alone, I want you to stop and have an opportunity to go around and say, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? 
What are you thankful for? And then at the end, stop and say, God, we want to give you thanks for all of these things. So God wants to live, wants us to live this life of gratitude. And so what we see is this man, this leper who is isolated, finds in Christ that he's accepted, that he's known, that he's loved, that he's restored. But Jesus doesn't just want to restore a personal relationship with God to him. That's certainly he wants that, but that's the only the first step. And so for the, the, the rest of the sermon, I want to look at our passage in Hebrews. And it's in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And if you look at 19 through 23, it's focused on the, the, the healing work that Jesus did in our relationship with God, that we're no longer isolated from God, that we can go into the holy place, that we can stand before a holy God, that we can have a relationship with God. Even so, it kind of echoes this idea of cleansing. It says that we've been cleansed from an evil conscience, so that's on the inside, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. But that's what Jesus has done. He takes away our shame so that we can stand before God. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So Jesus wants us to have a personal faith, us to have communion with God, but he also wants us to have interpersonal faith, that we are meant to live out our faith in the midst of community. And that's countercultural. And as a culture, because we've personified and privatized so many different things, that's bled over into the way we understand our relationship with God. That is just me and Jesus. That's all that I need. But the reality is that's more of a reflection of the culture in which we live than it is to the witness of the scriptures and to the testimony of 2,000 years of Christianity. That we're not meant, it's not just meant to be me and Jesus. And there's nowhere that you see this more prevalent then through what I'll call cheesy Christian art. I went ahead and did a search just because I was curious about the idea of a relationship with God. And these are the things that popped up. You guys got the slides? There we go. You know, the lady in yoga clothes and the sun setting under a tree, right? That's my relationship with God. It's just me and Jesus. Go to the next one. This is even more funny. It says, God and me. And the guy's on a beach, right? In white clothes. Like anybody dresses like that, right? Um, just God and me. That's all I need. Go to the next one. Okay, this is the guy on the mountain, the pensive guy. Um, go to the next one. And then this is the guy in the field. And I, what I love about these pictures is that they illustrate that God and me mentality, that my relationship with God is, is purely personal. It's not interpersonal. And I love about that, that it's like it is, you could only really worship or pray in a, an incredibly beautiful place, Right? Like, there was no pictures of somebody, like, stuck in rush hour traffic with their hands raised high. You know, like, oh, yes, we worship you, Lord. Um, so our faith isn't meant to be merely personal. It's also meant to be interpersonal. That we exercise our faith in pictures like this. That our faith is meant to be lived out in the next picture. There we go. And the idea of being circled around God's word, coming together as people of God, wrestling with the truth together. And in this, wrestling with our family about how do we follow God? What does it look like to be faithful um, in the world that we live in? And so we very much believe that um, we don't just have a personal faith, but an interpersonal faith. And that's why, go ahead and throw up the next slide. That's why 
uh, we, as we've been kind of honing in on what is, you know, we, we might, you've, you've probably heard us say, make disciples, go make disciples, be disciples, we're disciples. And you might be, be like, what does it mean to be a disciple? You keep saying that, but it's, we don't know what to do. Um, well, we wanted to give you something simple to kind of say, these are the ways, this is the pathway, these are the ways that we live into discipleship with Christ and we disciple others. The first is worship. We, we believe in the importance of worship. But the second thing is this idea of belonging. That it's so important if you're going to be a disciple of Christ to belong to a group of people. You can go ahead to the next slide so you can, I'm going to zoom in on it here. We, we believe that it's really important for you to belong to a smaller group of people that you can wrestle with your faith uh, in the midst of them. And there's four different things that make what we believe to be a healthy group. First is care for one another, that you walk through life with each other. Second is scripture, that at some point you're getting around God's word. Third is that there's prayer, that you're praying for one another, you're lifting each other up. And then the fourth is this idea of being outward oriented, that groups don't exist for themselves. A lot of times groups can kind of turn in on ourselves and they're like, yo, you can't be part of our group and you can't leave our group or we're going to banish you like a leper. Um, but groups are meant to be outward oriented. It's not meant to be this holy huddle or this bubble. It's meant to be a missional hub where you're meeting together during the week, but then you're, you're encouraging each other, spinning each other out, say, hey, go and, and help lead that. Or go and, and do ministry amongst your neighbors. Go and be salt and life in the world. Go be intentional about your job. And so we believe that the, in the importance of belonging and specifically being part of a group. And the way that you get into a group here at the church, in case you're wondering, well, how do I do that, is through Alpha and through Rooted. Alpha is kind of your first step and then Rooted is a, is a little bit deeper. It's your next step. Rooted group, or Alpha groups roll into these Rooted groups. But also, if you've already been through Alpha a bunch of times, and you're like, I've done Alpha, then you can go ahead and jump straight into Rooted. And what that will do is give you an opportunity to find a group of people to get to know them. And here's the wonderful thing about I want to share a few observations about what I've seen this past semester through Alpha and through Rooted. The first thing with Alpha is that people usually show up at Alpha for the first night, and it feels like you're going back to like a middle school dance. Like everybody's like, you know, like up against the wall, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, hey, what do I do with my hands? Like, I, you know, who do I talk to? And the reason for that is, and, and a lot of the folks that are in there are, you know, people that you go to church with, you maybe have been going to church with for a while, and then some of the people are, you know, new faces that you've never seen before. But the reason is, it's really hard to develop relationships in the pews. Because look at where you're faced. You're faced upward, as, as we should be in worship. You're faced upward towards God. But what, what Alpha gives you an opportunity is to turn to one another and be face-to-face -face and have conversations. And what we hear time and time again as people take Alpha is, when I first got there, I didn't know anybody. It was really awkward. By the end, it was like I had these friends. And when I went to church, it was like it wasn't as lonely because I was like, hey, I know that guy. He's in my Alpha group. I'm going to go talk to him. Or that person's going through Alpha. And so there's all sorts of different things that have been happening through Alpha. I want to, but I want to stop here and show you a quick video of um, let, let Alpha people speak for themselves. Um, this is a, a video testimony of a little bit of what God has been doing through Alpha. And the first, uh, the first note cards are how people would sum up Alpha in one word. And then the rest are just people telling stories. You may have heard it in their voices, uh, in their stories, that one of the great things about Alpha is it's the kind of place that you can actually be where you really are in your faith, 
a lot of times we can go to a Bible study or something like that and we feel like everybody knows all the answers, everybody knows like where to go in the Bible and you don't know where to go and you don't know the answers. And Alpha is a great place to just come as you are, wherever you're at, and learn and grow together. And it's also a great opportunity and a place for you. If there's people in your life, in your work, in your neighborhood, any of your friends that are starting to ask questions, it's a great place to invite them. Because if they show up on a Sunday morning, if they come here and they see some guy in a collar, it feels really weird. But Alpha is a great place for you to invite the people in your life who are searching. And then also, I want to tell you a second about Rooted. And during our offertory, we're going to have a video testimony where people are, are going to do cardboard testimonies of what God did in and through them during Rooted. But the other thing about Rooted is you go a little bit deeper in your relationship with God. You go a little bit deeper in your relationships with others. And what people found as they opened up and as they shared, as they shared their story, their struggles, that they're not alone. That not everybody has it all figured out. Not everybody is, you know, totally conquered sin in their life. And so I want to encourage you to step into Alpha or Rooted if you haven't gotten a place to plug in. Try it this coming semester. Because the reality is we do live in a lonely world and people long for community. And this was highlighted for me. I was driving to Green Cove Springs yesterday to grab a cup of coffee and I stopped to get gas and there was about 40 motorcyclists, like big motorcycle guys um, and they had their leather jackets on and there were some ladies and they had tattoos and, um, and it just reminds me like people look for community in anything, right? Like we long for community. If there's a hobby, you can find a community that does that hobby and these, these were rough and tough motorcyclists that were getting together on Saturday morning to go for a ride and they were an intimidating community to be honest. Um, but uh, it was really interesting because as we were driving, I was, as I was driving, I drove by them and I was, uh, you know, driving by the side of them. They were all lined up and it looked really intense. And I was looking at their, their, their jackets and what they were about. And it said BACA, B-A-C-A. And I was like, and I leaned in and it said, Bikers Against Child Abuse. And I thought it's so interesting, isn't it, how we long for community and we long for, to be part of a community that does good. These are these rough and tough bikers that are saying, we want to stand for something. We want to do good. And so I want to encourage you, get into a community. Get into a community that plugs in and seeks to do good. Because the reality is that we live in a lonely world. But there is a God who loves us. There is a God who desires to know us. And there is a community, a family of people here in our midst that are going to welcome you in and care for you. And as you get cared for and built up, we're all going to send, be sent out into the world, into this lonely world, to tell people of the good news of the gospel and that there's a family that they're welcome, that they can be known in. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and how he stepped into our loneliness, Lord, into our brokenness, and he heals us. And he gives us a community of healing. Lord, a place to belong, a people to belong to. Lord, I pray we would be a church and each person here would, be, would find their place to belong. And that through that belonging, they would be strengthened and sent out into the world to share the good news with those who don't know it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.